In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook. Do get involved. We would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. We've been having a chat about how to describe this episode and Alex, that's a very technical term for this. Alex, take it away. We are going to Nelson the shit out of Boaty Week. I'm liking Frank, it. Technical term. Yeah. Well, how could how can we not have Nelson in Boaty Week? Uh, but we're not going to do Trafalgar. We're gonna we're gonna be smart. We're gonna be cool. We're gonna be, uh, do something a little bit different. But Zach, who would we get for Nelson? Oh, I don't know. If only there was sort of somebody who was just obsessed with naval history and absolutely loved. Nelson and all things Boaty was really good at presenting, uh, generally knew her shit. Um, uh, do, do you know anybody like that, Alex? I was going to say Lena, but <laughs> even I'm laughing at that suggestion. Of course, of course, it's Kate Jameson. Kate, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. A mighty Kate Jameson, uh, queen of gunnery and naval <laughs> stuff and all the boats and all the Nelson. Uh, because she's absolutely fabulous so this is great because Kate tell us what you've picked to do because we just gave you open license to pick something Nelson-y I think that was the exact technical term yeah Yeah, well as we are fast approaching August I have no idea where this year's gone Uh, I decided to select the Battle of the Nile which of course happened on the 1st of August 1798 yay so it's like the two so next week is the 223rd anniversary of this right Oh, don't ask me to do maths. I don't. <laughs> yes, it's the down. correct answer. It, it sounds is. right. <laughs> it, I, I made it sound like I did that off the top of my head. But having failed GCSE maths three times, I actually sat and worked it out with a calculator before we came on this call. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad somebody knows. Pathetic when it comes to numbers. Uh, Zach, should we just start right at the beginning? Shall we? I mean, this is going to be great because everybody knows that the Royal Navy is the second most exciting force that Britain fields during this period, right, Kate? Um, I'm going to be very diplomatic here and maintain silence. You can just say, shut up, Zach. Zach's Zach's going to love this because we're going to trash Napoleon. Is that right? There is a little bit of Napoleon trashing. (laughs) Go on then, start us off. Why the hell do we have the Battle of the Nile in the first place? What's, What's going on? So at this point, obviously, uh, we are in the French Revolutionary Wars. In 1792, war broke out between the French Republic and several other European powers they decided to annoy at the same time. Um, Obviously, it was instigated by the revolution. And actually, this part of the French Revolutionary Wars became known as the War of the Second Coalition, um, which began in 1798 when Napoleon decided he was going to invade Egypt. I'm I'm, I'm trying to not bash Napoleon in how I formulate the next question, but I, I just can't do it. 
What the bloody hell is he thinking going to Egypt? (laughs) So uh, I think in 1798, he decided that he wanted to invade Egypt, basically to restrict British trade routes uh, and threaten our possession of India predominantly. Um, I think he'd actually written, I don't know if it was the year before or a couple of years before, basically that the time was not far distant when we should see that um, in order to destroy England effectively, it should be necessary to attack Egypt. Anyway, he did that and uh, they ended up taking Alexandria with very little difficulty. Uh, and then he obviously concentrated his attention to the the rest of the uh, the rest of the country, eventually going on to Cairo, etc. Uh, Zach, how do the French feel about him doing this? It's not ex- he's not exactly sanctioned with um, joy in their hearts, is he? Well, no, because the trouble is by this point, Napoleon's quite popular. He's I mean, like him or loathe, and he's good at war. Um, and so when he's been having this, um, I'm trying to think of a nice term for it, but basically it's a hard on about the idea of taking Egypt for a long time. Another technical term. I'm bringing them all out tonight. Um, he's, he's been banging on about this for a while. And it's quite convenient for the French government because they don't want this massively popular general who's made their name in Italy, has got this nickname, the Italian whirlwind. They don't want him around anymore. They want to push him off somewhere else where he's out of the way can't cause any trouble for them so when he turns around and says look Egypt how about it they go yeah fine we'll get rid of you we'll give you an army you go do it and it's not much of an achievement to be honest no disrespect to the Egyptian forces but it's it's not much of an achievement to take Egypt at this moment in time I do think um, they did so... have a bit of a, a bit of a rubbish time of it though I think with the heat and the uh, the flies and everything from I remember reading that one of the French admirals actually at that, that point in time was suffering from dysentery so they weren't having the best the best trip I found Don't give him credit Kate <laughs> <laughs> when I went to Egypt and did like the down the Nile thingy every site you went to there was a French person had chiseled their name into Egyptian monuments with the year like 1790 something in them uh, it was quite quite an issue that, that would seem to be what they did in their spare time was trash the ancient Egyptian relics which I'm saying nothing as a British person because we just packed <laughs> stolen so basically go to Egypt and graffiti all over the place mm-hmm. they even do it in the Great Pyramid although there's no um accuracy to the claim that they shoot off um the sphinx's nose Oh, no, that wasn't that at all, was it? No, uh, it's it's gone long before that point. But anyway, we're a long way from the Nile. Um, So, Kate, Napoleon's in Egypt. Why is Nelson involved? Egypt's a land-based country predominantly. What what the heck happens at the Nile? Yeah, so uh, at this point in time, Nelson is obviously in the Mediterranean. Um, He left, I think it was Gibraltar, in, in the spring of 1798 and he was looking for or trying to work out I guess what Napoleon was up to um unfortunately he then got hit by a really bad storm his ship was pretty much destroyed and then needed to go into Sicily for a refit um so they didn't actually manage to then sail to Alexandria until June so they got there and then there was absolutely no sign of the French they couldn't find them at all so the next day they left um and this was around the I think maybe the 28th, 29th of June, and the French turned up on around the 1st of July. Uh, so if he'd hung around a little bit longer, I think the, the course of this uh, period of history would have been very different. But um, he kept, went back to sailing around the Mediterranean on his little Napoleon hunt, um, and he was getting really, really annoyed. I think he even wrote to William Hamilton in a letter that the devil's children have the devil's luck. Uh, he was getting 
little bit pissed off I think we would say to use a technical technical phrase but thankfully Thomas Truebridge turned up on the 29th of July with a captured French brig telling him that the French had been spotted off of Crete so Nelson figured out exactly what was going on and then headed off to um, Egypt arriving at Abu Kir Bay on August the 1st which is where the French had anchored because it was slightly further away. Where's Nelson's career tra- trajectory now? Uh, which of his ships is he on and is he, is he a, has he got a squadron or is he just a captain? Is it a small force? So at this point he is on HMS Vanguard and he was in charge of a kind of a detached squadron. Okay. Has he met Emma Hamilton by this point? Uh, I think he went to, oh, hang on, let me work it out in math. No, well, he went to Naples after the Nile because he was actually hailed as the kind of saviour of Italy. So, no, he hasn't at that point. But I think he was in touch with William Hamilton because obviously he was the the British minister there at this point in time. Okay, so Nelson's off on his Napoleon hunt. I do like that term. I wish there were rabbits involved, (laughs) but sadly there aren't. Um, He... He hears about the um, the what well, works out as you say the the French plan. What comes next is a pretty and this is another technical term. This is a ballsy move by yeah. Nelson, <laughs> isn't it? So use of the wind, seizing the advantage. I'm I'm going to shut up because I don't want to spoil it. And <laughs> and you're the person to talk us through this. But talk us through this ballsy ballsy move. Yeah, so uh, they sailed to Abukir Bay, and I think there were thirteen French ships of the line and four frigates, I believe, um, including obviously the French flagship Lorient, which was absolutely vast. I think she was one hundred and one hundred and eighteen guns, um, and she was obviously used for carrying a lot of the troops over to Egypt initially. Um, so they sailed into Abukir Bay. The British gun crews, you know, they'd all been beat to quarters, and the guns were all run out, and they were they were ready to go. Uh, the French vice admiral in charge had actually refused to do anything at this point and stayed at anchor because he didn't a think that Nelson was going to attack so late in the day. Um, but he also realised that the British had the wind in their favour. So it was blowing them into the bay in this kind of south easterly direction. Uh, and there was absolutely no way the French could could have even got underway if they wanted to. They would have just been dead in the water. And kind of emphasise for people the nature of being at anchor because this is what i always look at and go how did nelson think to do this the french are are they changed together are the ships changed together at this point as well as being anchored so they were all anchored um and now the actually the thing that nelson did was really clever so he worked well so actually technically nelson didn't work it out foley worked it out from an atlas that he had to hand uh and communicated it with Nelson who agreed that it was a good plan that essentially they realized that the French ships were anchored only at the bow and not at the bow and the stern which meant that they could swing at anchor um, pretty close to the shoals and Nelson basically realized or Foley and Nelson realized that if the French could swing around that there was probably enough deep water for the ships to go on the sort of landward side as well Um, so as soon as they started getting close, Foley actually took Goliath straight around the side of um, Le Guerrier, the French ship. Um, and everyone else went, oh, OK, this works. OK, we'll do that as well. And then it, it, it was utterly devastating for the French. I weren't expecting it at all. I think I think it was the Guerrier um, that one of they put all of their like crates and boxes and everything all on one side of the ship the landward side because they were like well we don't really need this side it's not going to be used and then when they suddenly realize they realize that they need to clear for action 
you had all these French seamen just scrambling, trying to pull everything down so they could actually fight. Um, and obviously that, that just didn't happen. They got utterly destroyed by, uh, by the Goliath. You the really splinters. wouldn't want to be the first ship in, would you? The first British <laughs> Absolutely not. Although I felt, I do feel for the French. I think they said something like 70 shot went basically the full length of the Guerrier's gun decks, which would have been absolutely devastating. I mean, for context, there are stories of naval gun crews ears literally bleeding from from how loud and, and whatnot that it was from from concussion i guess how close do they end up getting i mean how much space is there around the back of this, <laughs> Not this <very> french <laughs> i mean it's so you understand sailing i mean i'll be honest i don't i'm all about you know internal combustion engines i can i can understand that in terms of the seamanship that's involved to get these ships through what to me looks like the eye of a needle how how is this a unique feat in terms of certain crews could do it and others couldn't and so therefore there's a there's an element of trust going on here in the sense of nelson going actually you know what the british can handle this whereas perhaps other commanders wouldn't have had that trust yeah i mean i think a lot of it comes down to how well drilled your ships were so a good example uh i guess of well-drilled seamanship it would actually be the Bellerophon, who um, was actually at the Nile. Uh, while she was on blockade duty, her crew basically worked out how to get everything put away as quickly as possible and run out as quickly as possible. So at one point they had a kind of race so that they could work out which ships were going to be the, the fastest in the squadron. Um, and the Bellerophon had gone off and come back and furled away all of her sails before the other ships even rocked up. Um, so <laughs> I think it's fair to say that the British were far better drilled um and obviously at this point a lot of the french crews haven't been to sea before um and that, that was a problem that faced faced them throughout really the french revolutionary and the Napoleonic wars so describe to us what happens after the the goliath unleashes that right all, all <coughs> down the gun deck what happens as we move on through the battle so you've then got uh i think it was the audacious the Theseus and the Orion followed the Goliath and the Zealous and then Nelson took Vanguard for an attack on the seaward side so they anchored near Sparshot one of the French ships and then they went they had two other British ships go past them the Minotaur and the Defence um, who were going after two of the other French ships um, and it was just everyone was just firing and working down the line and firing and anchoring and working down the line and firing and anchoring. And I think at this point, I remember reading that it was actually all going on within the space of about half a mile or a mile. This area it's, it's, it's really not a huge, huge area at all. Uh, and actually, the fact that Nelson and I guess Foley had the realisation that, you know, if a ship has room to swing, there's room to anchor. He just used it to his advantage. I mean, that is incredible. So Waterloo is a tiny, tiny battlefield. And it's about three miles wide. And everybody bangs on about the level of destruction in such a confined <laughs> space. Half a mile is nothing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Trafalgar, I mean, what kind of space does Trafalgar take place over? <laughs> a lot bigger. <laughs> um, Abuqueer Bay is not, is not that big um, at all, actually, when you look at it. Um, and obviously you've got the shoals as well, which are causing from Trafalgar was, was far, far deeper, far deeper. You didn't have any of, any of those issues whatsoever. Don't a couple of British ships run aground, though, in the process? Yeah, so actually Thomas Truebridge ran aground, um, and I think a couple of the others ran aground, or they were dismasted, uh, 
and we're having a having a bit of a nightmare. Bellerophon was having an absolute mare, so she actually ended up alongside Lorient, and the Lorient was just firing on her. So you've got seventy four guns versus one hundred and eighteen, which isn't really where you want to be. If I'm honest, I wouldn't want to be there. Um, ended up being dismasted, and eventually, I think one of the I can't remember what rank he was, but one of one of the officers sort of used his wits I guess and sort of made a kind of a jury rig with what bricking was actually left attached it to the bowsprit and managed to kind of drift them away just before the Lorient um exploded because she was already on fire at this point I was going to say I mean that's one of the the horrendous episodes of the battle isn't it is am I right in thinking that's where we get the story about the boy on the burning deck yes yeah supposedly um and the Lorient I believe they think that she caught fire because of the amount of paint and turpentine that was inside from where she was being repainted. Um, I'm not sure how true that is. I've read it in a couple of places though. Um, and actually another little fun, fun fact, it's not a great fun fact is it? so loads of people died, but um, the main mast of Lorient, part of it was taken uh, and actually it became Nelson's coffin when he died. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Did it? That's uh, a nice way to wave two fingers at the French. Mm. Even in there, I bet he likes that one. Nelson. Well, well, obviously by that point Nelson's dead. But was there like a plan beforehand that they would do that? I don't know if there was a plan that it would be the master of Lorient necessarily. Um, but yeah, event it, they kept it, and um, it did become. Nelson's coffin I remember someone I can't remember the name of the guy someone follows me on Twitter and I remember him telling me that his relative was either the I don't can't remember the person that built the coffin or was the first person that tested the size of the coffin or something it's just for the people that don't know tell everyone the, the story of the boy in the burning deck Zach from what I remember <laughs> it's the son of the French so the French captain on the French admiral whose name I might have known at one point but no longer do and basically if I Kate, please put me out of my misery when I get this wrong. I want to say Casablanca or Casablanca. It's either Casablanca or Casablanca. I can't remember, but I believe they said that it was um, one of the sailors basically stayed at his post and refused to jump over the side because the captain, who was his father, was already dead and couldn't give him 
permission to jump off and save himself, which is quite Bad. sad. Yeah, I thought it was because he was wounded. So I'm glad you've corrected me on that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be telling everyone the wrong story. Like casualty figures, how bad is this for the French? It's not great. So, um, first, well, I mean, not so much a casualty per se, but even Nelson was uh, was injured at the Nile. So there's a famous painting of him uh, with a, I guess, a scar across his head because he had this flap of skin that fell down, and he thought he was actually blinded at one point. Um, he wasn't, but it, it was just a blow to the head from some from some shrapnel. Um, <clears throat> but the French weren't having a great time. I think 60 out of almost 1,200 of the Lorient's crew survived, which is awful. Um, I think we lost something like around 1,000, but the French were well over that. I think they had something like 3,500 men captured or wounded. We did actually take some prisoners um but we had to release them because we just didn't have the resources to to keep them and feed them how quickly was it over uh fairly quickly so it actually went on so they arrived uh overnight and actually continued fighting through the night which was relatively rare at this time period because obviously you needed to see what was actually going on um i think it was villeneuve who actually at one point didn't realize which ships were where and the french were ended up firing on themselves or firing on their other ships which again isn't isn't what you want to be doing. Uh, so it went on overnight. <clears throat> it, by the time the sun rose, I think pretty much victory was certain. But they continued anyway, <laughs> just just to make sure. This is like this is the this is the birth, isn't it? I read of um, Nelson and his band of brothers as well. Is at the Nile. Yes. So all of his famous captains. Um, I can't remember how many there were now. That's really bad, isn't it? But yeah, it was most of his captains at the Nile um, or before and after, I guess. And obviously it comes from, from Henry V. And then it became kind of generally applied, I guess, to his relationships with captains at, later on, including at Trafalgar. Um, In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, I think before beforehand he wrote a letter. I can't remember the year basically again referring to his brave officers and his gallant fellows and a band of brothers so it, it stuck and I think partly that sort of ties into Nelson's leadership again. I'm struck by what you say about <laughs> him thinking he was blinded isn't that quite a Nelson thing thinking that he was <laughs> he's going to... being a bit melodramatic <laughs> yeah <laughs> <clears throat> yeah he uh I think today we'd probably, well, I don't know if we call him a hypochondriac, but he definitely always seemed to believe the worst. He would, you know, he lost his arm and a, a one, one-handed admiral would never be again useful. And I always um, thought that he would be, if he would be now, because my brother's like this, one of these in, insane, unbearable people that every time they get a sniffle, they're on the internet. I reckon so. Um, I mean, he had seasickness, to be fair. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't enjoy that. I've never been seasick, but I can't imagine that it's an enjoyable experience. But I think in this, um, in the painting, he's actually he's got this 
quite red eye, his head's scarred, he's got most of his eyebrow missing, couldn't draw it back on, I guess, in those days. Um, and apparently he didn't particularly like this painting, I'm not sure how true that is. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, but a few people have said that he definitely wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't like it now, because I think someone said that they initially, I can't remember who it was, somebody covered over the wound or something with, with a layer of paint, I believe I read somewhere, and then they discovered it, um, discovered it later. What so did you didn't say? have Photoshop in those days, did you? No. <laughs> As uh, your Twitter loons would attest to. Oh, yeah. Well, take those on Photoshop, aren't you? Oh, well, you know, if I had my eye shot off, then I'd probably make it look a bit bigger. But what can I, you know? <laughs> I know. Well, just, I don't even know how you would make your eyeballs bigger. It's uh, <laughs> whatever. Crazy. Get some shrapnel thrown into them on a, on a ship. That would probably do it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Would they shut up then if you Photoshop yourself? <laughs> What does this do for Nelson's career? Uh, so for Nelson, it's uh, it's wonderful. It kind of makes him a hero, really. Um, I think he said that, you know, victory is not a name strong enough for such a scene. And he, he was very proud of himself. Uh, it took until I think October for the news to actually get back to Britain. Uh, and he was given the title of Baron. So he became Baron Nelson of the Nile and of Burnham Thorpe. Um, and he was presented with swords and people wrote poems and he appeared on plates and prints and all sorts. And obviously the newspapers made him this absolute hero. You had, then he ended up in Naples and Emma Hamilton was throwing him parties and wandering around with a big N letter. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Fan, I guess fangirling would probably be the modern, modern day equivalent for what she was up to. See, that's that. That's the Royal Navy. <laughs> really i'm interested in i don't want to dwell too much on the hamilton thing because i know you you've talked about it for, for other projects but that relationship with emma where does it start how quickly does it develop is it completely that she just goes okay this guy nelson this is this yeah. is the one or is it something that kind of smolders away and then talk us through it so Nelson heads to Naples after the Nile, obviously A, to get his ship prepared and B, to kind of recuperate from his injury. Um, and Emma and William Hamilton hosted him. Uh, and obviously everyone in Naples is pretty happy with him at this point. Unfortunately, I don't think his wife would, would have been. He wrote a letter to Francis Nisbet saying that Emma was one of the very best women in this world, an honour to her sex, which isn't what you want, really, I guess. Like, oh, look, here's this wonderful woman that I'm hanging around with. Um, I would have been a bit irked. Like, <laughs> um, be like, oh, yeah, this is bird. She's all right. Yeah. Meanwhile, Emma Hamilton's going on about how delirious with joy she is. And she has a fever caused by the victory. And there's never been anything so glorious. And I want to see and embrace the victor of the Nile, etc. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Nelson stayed with the Hamiltons in Naples. Um, and well, Na I mean, Nelson's time at Naples would be a whole whole other podcast that you could go on about <laughs> for a really long time. Um, but yeah, he stayed with them, and then he went to Palermo, and their relationship sort of built. Uh, and then, obviously, the rest, as they say, is history. I think she was obviously incredibly impressed with him and you know she was arranging all these parties in his honor etc but I don't think that was initially her plan I think it's the fact that they both had from the sounds of things the same sort of temperament and sense of humor um, by all accounts and obviously Emma Hamilton was supposedly incredibly beautiful which probably helped 
Um, but I think she, by all accounts, she had quite a personality. And I imagine when you read about her and you read about Frances Nisbet, they're very different people. Um, I mean, I can't ever imagine Frances Nisbet wandering around in a shawl covered in anchors, Benelson, I think the word was she used. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, I think he was pretty captivated by her initially and then obviously it went on. What's the consequence, so away from Nelson, what's the consequence mm-hmm. of the French of the Battle of the Nile? So the French army were actually then stuck in Egypt temporarily and cut off from all their reinforcements and their supplies from France, I believe. Um, I think Bonaparte actually said that, you know, this is the end of my Navy Navy, and I'm going to be fated to perish in Egypt. Obviously, he wasn't. So that didn't happen. But he did admit that they were no longer masters of the sea after this, which I think is interesting, especially when you take into consideration what happened a few years later. I mean, fucked is the technical term I would use to describe <laughs> Napoleon in, in, in Egypt after this point. There is there's nothing he can do. He's stranded out there and the, the Mediterranean fleet is what's meant to be supplying him and securing yeah. the lines of communications with back with France. So no reinforcements. As you say, he throws a, a little tantrum and goes, well, this is it. Um, then I think he actually this... said at one point that um, the name Abu Kir is detested by every Frenchman. <laughs> well, quite rightly so. Well, um, but then that's probably Napoleon thinking that what he thinks is representative of what every French person mm-hmm as to think, but that's that's Napoleon. But I mean, yeah, you're, you're right, he manages to get back. But the reason he gets back is because having tried to then work his way up the um, into the, the, the Holy Land, um, hoping to um, secure ships to kind of reverse what's happened at, at the Nile, um, that goes disastrously wrong. And in the end, he goes, well, to hell with this, and runs off back to France and leaves his army to suffer and die in Egypt because you know he's such a wonderful and heroic person and claims that he's going to get reinforcements and come back but somehow never does and just sort of quietly makes himself emperor of France in the process. <laughs> Here's one for you two in the same room at the same time to finish us off. <laughs> who's, who's got the bigger ego Nelson or Napoleon? Oh God. That's, that's a tricky one. <laughs> I love Nelson. Nelson researched didn't he? Um burial places and basically ordered the country and said well I had a look at Westminster Abbey and it's not for me because apparently in 600 years time there's some subsidence issues and it might and I mean like I need to be permanent so I'll take Wolsey's tomb at St Paul's thanks very much and they gave it to him. I mean I never heard of Napoleon writing letters promoting himself to the newspapers being yeah. all, hey guys look what I do I mean he may have done I haven't I haven't read that much into it but have Nelson Nelson was definitely up to that. Napoleon loved this kind of stuff. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. During his Italian campaign, he's absolutely stoking things. And then when, I mean, this is the difference, of course, that with Napoleon, he lives longer and he becomes emperor of France. So he controls everything, whether as first consul and then from 1804 as emperor. And in the process, he's able to shut down the newspapers. So in the end, by the time he's done, there were something like four newspapers left in Paris when there were something like 80 when he started. So what Napoleon thinks becomes the, the official press. But even before that point, he's he's writing to um, the, the newspapers back home, making sure that his version is the one that gets out before the French government has the chance to put forward the official version. Either way, you wouldn't, be, each other. you wouldn't want to be at a dinner party with both of them, would you? 
Oh God, no, it'd be insufferable. Imagine if they both had Twitter, they'd be those people that you just <laughs> meet because you'd just be like, oh God, they're off again. And they'd start fighting and you'd, everyone would just be really irritated within about they'd, 10 minutes. They'd make Trump look benign on Twitter, wouldn't they? <laughs> they really would. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Did Kate. they ever comment on one another, Kate? Because there's that famous meeting between Wellington and, and Nelson. And, and Wellington kind of goes... This guy Nelson is a bit of a tool, isn't he? Because famously, Nelson doesn't know who Wellington is at the start, mm. then leaves the room, finds out who Wellington is, comes back and is a completely different person. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I mean, they would—I guess they would have known of each other. I, I'm not sure if they would have had some form of respect for each other purely on the basis of what they were up to at the time. Well, according to the internet, which never lies, uh, Nelson was uh, known, Napoleon knew of Nelson and his heroic career, and the closest they ever came to each other was the Battle of the Nile, when they were a few miles apart. Yeah, I knew they hadn't met, but um, I, th- I think Napoleon actually travelled on Lorient to Egypt. I think he was part of the ship's company of Lorient. Uh, well, Can you imagine, as you said, how different history would have been if, if Nelson if had caught them? them and stopped them before they got to Egypt? Yeah. Well, well, apparently there was beef because after the <laughs> Nile, Nelson got his hands on a load of Napoleon's correspondence that was bragging about becoming about ruling France and wanting to be in charge of France. So, yeah, uh, Napoleon wasn't a fan, I think. I think there was yeah you're right if they had if they'd have had twitter ouch well you can imagine napoleon being a sore loser can't you and ultimately think what you will of nelson but he was a winner (laughs) egyptian campaign napoleon lost and lost big time so where's your ride home napoleon And, uh, I think the story. I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the guy. I, on, yeah, on, I'm really bad. I can barely remember the names of people that I know in real life. But there was somebody who, I think, he served with Nelson at the Nile and Trafalgar, and eventually sort of looked after this monument, sort of devoted to Nelson. And he just sat there answering questions about Nelson. <laughs> and Nelson loved it. Oh, Is that not like a Nelson, uh, like a male version of? Um... Me. Lady Hamilton. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say like a male version of UK. I'm not that harsh. <laughs> all she does is sit around at all these historical places talking about no. Oh wait, no, I do do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's already dug you out over your ears. <laughs> that would have just been gruel. Uh, Kate doesn't Photoshop her pictures. Kate, thank you so much for coming on to bring the Nelson to Boaty Week. We love it. We love the Battle of the Nile. We love that Nelson is just an absolute lunatic. And because we're English, we love that he got the better of Napoleon. We do. We all, we absolutely do. <laughs> when our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them, and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack, or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great 
Facebook. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.